of our day, our time is not ours. This day is not ours. The world we live in, even our small slice of the world, so our family and our home, our occupation, none of those things are ours in any real sense, but are rather gifts that we have been blessed to steward. There's an interesting passage that we find in Ephesians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul is encouraging the believers in that church to imitate God. And he says, how do you imitate God? Well, you walk in love. He says, you are in Christ, so live like it. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of the light. And then he continues developing this thought when we get to verse 15 in this way. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, look carefully how you are walking. This sounds similar to some advice the Apostle Paul offers Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where he says, look, watch your life and watch your doctrine or your teaching Closely, watch how you are living. Analyze it. Scrutinize it. And then he goes on in this passage to say, and make the best use of your time. This idea of redeeming the time or buying up the time. Why? Because we only have a few short years on this earth. So his argument is, well, we need to live those days intentionally and wisely. Why would we need to live wisely and use our time wisely, if our days are ours, if our time is ours to do with as we please, well, I can try to squeeze every ounce of productivity out of each hour of every day because it's mine to do with as I please. But approaching our time wisely says, no, everything we know and everything we see, including our time, that these things are not our possessions to do with as we please, but they are gifts from the Lord through which we can enjoy God and serve the world. The psalmist puts it this way at the beginning of Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. What we as followers of Jesus, can't begin to redeem the time as Paul would encourage us. us we, we can't make the best use of our time if we haven't first rightly understood our time, not as a possession we have or not as something we are in control of, but as a gift from above. And I think that understanding would shape our minds in such a way that we can begin to release our tight grip on our hours of every day because we don't have to control those small pieces of time. Eugene Peterson has said, if we do not regularly quit work for one day a week, we take ourselves far too seriously. We have an unhealthy desire to control our lives. If we are unable to quit work for one day a week, is it maybe a symptom of the fact that we are worshiping our time? 
And I think if the answer to that question could be yes, well, then I think we have to understand Sabbath in this light. Sabbath, I think much like written prayers, Sabbath helps strip us of our illusions of control. So if you've been around here for a while, you notice that a lot of the prayers that we join together to pray on Sunday mornings, that they are written and provided for us. A lot of them have been handed down to us from generations before. That doesn't mean that we don't find value in spontaneous prayer, that there's nothing important that that can offer us. I think spontaneous prayer is an important part of the life of a follower of Jesus. But one reason we choose to do this as we gather corporately, one side effect of some of these prayers that are pre-written and historic is that they strip us of the illusion that we are in control. We can't use prayer as a tool to force God's hand to get what we want when we are praying these prayers that have been handed down to us. And I think Sabbath can function in a similar way for us. We like to use every moment of every day to squeeze out all of the productivity that we can. Stopping for a day of week reminds us that I'm not in control. And working 24-7 isn't going to secure a future for me. So when resting feels like a waste, when taking a Sabbath feels like a wasted day, I enter into it and I remind myself, oh yes, this is not my day. This is not my time. So I can be content to rejoice in the fact that this is the Lord's day. He has blessed me with this time. So I think Sabbath can become an antidote to the anxiety that often permeates our lives. I think another way in which Sabbath rest might bring health to us personally is in relation to our holiness. So I think Sabbath can be an antidote to anxiety. I think Sabbath rest can also be an antidote to sin. So if we think of it in terms of holiness, the, the process of becoming more like Jesus. If we accept that sin is missing the mark of how we have been designed to function, if sin is looking less like Jesus rather than growing into the likeness of Christ, how might Sabbath rest put us on the path to holiness? To consider this question, I want to refer back to a Catholic teaching. There's, uh, in Catholic teaching, there's this concept of an occasion of sin, an occasion of sin. Or theologians will sometimes refer to a near occasion of sin, uh, of sin. And essentially that teaching is arguing that there are external circumstances that we all face. So maybe those circumstances are things or or people, or events, and those external circumstances, because of our frailty as human beings, puts us in a, an especially precarious position in regard to temptation. So there are external circumstances that make sin especially enticing for us. So here's a very simple example that I have experienced, and maybe you have as well. Have you ever been really hungry, and somebody says something, or something happens, and you lose your mind. You erupt. And what was said 
really was not a big deal. And once you have a full belly, you're in a proper frame of mind to recognize that what was said was really not a big deal. But because you were so hungry, you erupt in anger. I have been there. It's like that Snickers marketing campaign, right? Here's a Snickers. You're not you when you're hungry. And I think in a similar way, as we translate this into the idea of Sabbath rest, when we become exhausted from a lack of rest, our guard is let down, sin becomes enticing, my my desire to become more like Christ, my desire to guard my heart from evil thoughts or words or actions or attitudes, that desire, when I am exhausted, is weakened. And I am more prone to allow habits and practices that do not look like Jesus to dominate my thoughts. A state of exhaustion can bring this out of us. If we want to move into deeper Christ-likeness, I think rest is essential. We need rest to be healthy spiritually. We need rest to be healthy emotionally and mentally. Scientific evidence is even pointing in this direction of the need for physical rest. In her book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, Marva Dawn cites research that was done, uh, conducted at the University of Arizona, and in that research, it was discovered that if we fail to rest after six straight days of work, we become susceptible to insomnia, which seems, seems counterintuitive that a failure to rest would lead to restlessness. This is what that study found. We, we become susceptible to fatigue or hor- hormonal imbalances or irritability or even organ stress and other severe mental and physical symptoms. And I think as followers of Jesus, one thing that we have to come to terms with is that exhaustion, both physical and mental exhaustion, is not something that we are somehow exempt from because we follow Jesus, which seems like an obvious statement to make, but there, I think, are a lot of folks that function in this state where there is stuff that has to be done and I don't have time to rest and the task ahead of me seems impossible. Well, I can just quote a scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and power through. And that is a misuse of that text. That is not what that is intended to communicate. Or or it's this idea, if, if I'm doing the Lord's work He is going to give me supernatural strength to power through so I can burn the candle at both ends because this is the Lord's work. I can burn the candle at both ends because I'm going to rest when I retire. The the problem is we, we might get to retirement age and discover that we haven't properly cared for our souls and we have turned into somebody that we never intended to be. Jesus also gives voice to this, the need for rest, and he argues that we can find that rest in him. Matthew chapter 11, we read this, come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your 
souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, of course, here, the the image that Jesus is using is the yoke. Have you ever seen one of those? We're not talking about the little yellow center of a hard-boiled egg. The yoke, essentially, is a big piece of wood or a wooden frame that would connect two oxen together, enabling them to join their strength. And when they joined their strength together, they, the strength was increased exponentially. When they joined their strength, they could carry a, a really heavy load. Now, by the first century, this image of the yoke used to carry a burden was being used to describe... Um, an individual who was intentionally putting themselves under somebody else's instruction or somebody uh, under somebody else's tutelage. They were becoming a subject of their teacher. And in Judaism, the, the yoke of the Pharisees or that burden, that instruction of the Pharisees became incredibly burdensome for those who had accepted that became incredibly exhausting. It it snuffed out life rather than leading to deeper life. So Jesus, understanding all of this this that is going on in the religious culture of the day, says, "Are, are you tired and worn out? Are you exhausted from carrying that heavy load? Come to me and I will give you rest. Now, obviously, in the context of this teaching, what Jesus is talking about is explicitly related to an individual who is crushed by burdensome and legalistic regulations and expectations in regard to the law. For us, that doesn't really make sense, but I do think there is a broad principle at play here that is important for us and even essential in our spiritual lives. And that is the simple fact that whatever the source of our fatigue might be, Jesus gives us rest. And I think from a Christian perspective, borrowing from this Jewish tradition of Sabbath rest, Sabbath rest becomes one of the main mechanisms by which we enter the rest of Jesus. This does not at all mean that we can develop spiritually without intentionality or that we develop spiritually without effort. Not at all. In fact, in this text, Jesus indicates that he was removing the the one yoke of the Pharisees, but replacing that yoke with his yoke that he has placed on us, and we are learning from him and following him, and he is leading us and instructing us, but he insists, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And I think we find that no place more clearly than in the gift of Sabbath rest, where we can stop. We don't have to strive, and we don't have to earn, and we don't have to produce. We can simply rest and enjoy. You know, I think in a lot of ways, Sabbath rest is like exercise, where that activity has a cumulative effect when it comes to the benefits of the activity. And I think many spiritual disciplines that are important in the Christian life are like that. At first, when we begin to wade into the waters of those disciplines, it feels like death, much like it would feel if I go out and run five miles today. It will feel like death. I don't know how many of you run or engage in some other intense cardio or anaerobic activity I personally have a love-hate and on-again, off-again relationship with running. That There have been seasons in my life, even like five, six-year seasons, where I've 
gotten pretty into, not like Austin into running, but I've gotten into running and even to the point where I need it to, to feel like I can make it through the week. I'm currently in one of those off-again seasons with running, and I like to blame it on the fact that I had kids, but really it's probably just a product of my laziness. But when, when I am not in shape, as I am currently not, and I'm not in the routine, running feels like death. It is really, you understand what I'm talking about. It, it is really difficult to get back into it because initially you don't notice the benefits. It just feels hard. But the more you do it, what happens? The better you get, the more strength and stamina that you build, and you begin to enjoy it more. And then you begin to see the benefits. And I think similarly, the benefits of Sabbath rest are not going to be seen after one or two weeks, maybe even one or two months. And at the beginning, resting is going to feel burdensome. It is going to feel like you are putting a heavy yoke on your back because it requires discipline. As A.J. Svoboda insists in his book, Subversive Sabbath, Sabbath rest is disruptive. It is unnatural. It will feel like death, but it is not impossible. And the more we enter into it, the more we see the benefits, the more life we discover. And so this is why I think it might begin as a discipline that feels really hard and burdensome because it is grating against the very core of how we have been trained to view ourselves and how we have been trained to approach the world, but it is not impossible. In the remaining few moments we have, I want to dig a little bit deeper into some of the practical questions that we've been considering. If Sabbath is unnatural, and if entering into rest is in a weird way going to feel burdensome at the beginning because it is disruptive in nature, one thing we need to keep in mind is the fact that Sabbath rest is personal. Now, this is what I mean by that. I'm not saying that Sabbath rest needs to be done in isolation. Quite the contrary. In fact, from the very beginning, this practice has been defined in communal terms. We're, we're going to explore that idea in more detail next week. But it is personal in that rest is going to look different for every one of us. This is why I think it's difficult and maybe even counterproductive for us to just create these lists of do's and don'ts. So we have this list of activities over here that are prohibited for all of us on the Sabbath. We have activities over here that are permissible on the Sabbath. So over here on this list of prohibited activities is something like working in the garden. Because obviously working in the garden and pulling weeds, that's work. Maybe. If we're engaged in that kind of activity six days out of the week, then that would be work. Or if we are doing that type of work to earn a living, but most of us aren't. A lot of us are staring into a backlit screen all day, every day, and so actually getting our, our hands, our fingers and our palms into some actual soil, there might be nothing that is more invigorating than a practice like that. So what constitutes work is going to be different for each of us. For many of us, less work is done today with our hands than in the past. For some of us, 
Our brains may need a Sabbath more than our physical bodies. And so maybe taking a jog or doing some things around the yard, maybe that would be an appropriate activity for you. Some of you who do manual labor for your job, your body may need a rest much more than your mind. So for you, maybe reading a book is incredibly relaxing and restful on your Sabbath. But I think we need to get to a place, if we can get to a place of genuine rest, we have to understand that our goal in rest is not just to stop working, but to even stop thinking about work. Because even thinking about work can be just as taxing and demanding as actually engaging in our work. So, so this is a very simple example of how this plays out in my life. Obviously for me, as a pastor, Sundays as a Sabbath, that's sort of off the table, because this is a full day of work for me. But I've also found that when I can enter into a day of rest, when I have the strength and the discipline to do it, that it is unhelpful or unproductive for me to read a book that is theological in nature, because that is far too close to some of my tasks as a pastor, and it is really difficult for me to t keep those separate. So if I am going to read, it, it has to be fiction, or it has to be a biography of some sort that is completely unrelated to the world of religion or theology, because I am not disciplined enough if I wade into a theological work to make it just about enjoyment. My mind automatically goes back to things that happen here. And I'm sure you could probably think of some examples where that's the case in your life. That is just a tiny example of how that works out in my life. This, th this is why I think figuring out rhythms and routines for Sabbath rest, on one hand, is a very personal endeavor because you know better than anybody else what is actually restful for you. You know what renews your mind, what renews your body. You know those activities and practices that are reinvigorating for your soul, and you also know what drains you. You know what sucks life out of you. The, the task, though, is being able to be honest enough with ourselves that we don't just begin to make excuses. So I, I'm not going to, to go home on my Sabbath day that I have set aside and say, well, I enjoy working on sermons, and so this is, it gives me life, so this is going to be an appropriate act. That's just making an excuse to avoid rest. So I think one of the first practical steps that we all must take after accepting the fact that personal rest is essential in our lives is beginning to honestly identify the types of activities that I should steer clear of, the types of activities that it's okay for me to engage in. What leads to life for me? What leads to health? What is helping me to slow down, forcing me to evaluate my life, forcing me, as the Apostle Paul says, to watch how I am walking and to make the best use of my time? Kevin, if you all want to come up. And I enter that process, figuring out how to make the best of use of my time, understanding that making the best use of my time from a Christian perspective 
doesn't always have to be productive in terms of tangible results. Making the best use of the time may appear fruitless, and I have to accept that. It may appear fruitless until I discover that my soul has been fed through that much-needed rest. As we begin to move to a time of communion, I want to share one more thing that Eugene Peterson said of Sabbath, something that I think is connected to Sabbath. He said, in prep for the day, in prep for the day, I go to sleep to get out of the way for a while. You know, sleep has that effect of confronting us with our lack of control, confronting us with the reality that the world is going to continue spinning. Even if I check out for a few hours, everything's going to continue moving along. Things are going to continue to work. And I think Sabbath is similar. Caring for our souls, resting in the care of Jesus Christ, will bring you to a place of health personally where you can then begin to effectively help care for others. And that's the idea that we're going to explore next week. If you want to stand this morning. We're going to approach the table with the words of Jesus from our gospel reading today in mind. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you exhausted? I think for many of us, the answer is yes. Jesus would say to you, I believe, come to me. Come to me and find rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So as we approach the table, we are signifying the fact that we are coming to Jesus and we are trusting him to meet us here. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to gather with our brothers and sisters around your body and your blood. We pray that as we meet with you through these elements, that you would not only remind us of our need for rest, but that you would enable us to begin to open up to that rest. Lord Jesus, be our rest, we pray. Amen. Would you join us at the table? We invite everybody that is here to participate with us. If you would like to, we'll make two lines down the center aisle, and we'll hand you the elements individually.